electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and James McDonald. Tonight on Fast, back from the brink. Tomorrow, marking one year since the COVID bottom. We'll take a look at what turned out to be some of the greatest buying opportunities and find out if there's still buys right now. Plus, chips and dips, the semi's surging today, but the sector's still down over the past month. Should you scoop some uh, beaten down names up? And later, we are gearing up for GameStop, the company reporting results tomorrow after the bell. And options traders are making big bets ahead of the print. We will break down the action. But we start with a party on Wall Street. Stocks pushing higher to kick off the week with all three major averages finishing in the green. The Nasdaq, the big winner, gaining one and a quarter percent. But could this party be coming to an end? This is spring break in South Florida. People packing the streets, things getting so out of hand. Miami Beach declaring a state of emergency, enforcing curfews and restrictions to limit the partying in crowds. All this as COVID cases are back on the rise in more than half of the country. 27 states reporting a jump in new case counts. New Jersey pausing any further reopenings. And over in Europe, Germany and England extending their lockdowns. Of Poland, parts of France, other European countries are introducing new measures to curb the outbreak. So the question tonight... Is the market ignoring COVID risks, taking its eye off the ball, just plain old getting too bullish? Guy, what do you say? Well, obviously, hey, Mel, we, we look at everything through the prism of the market, right? So I, I, well, it's important to make it clear that, you know, we don't want to see anybody getting sick. We understand what's happened over the last year. I think it's important to say that because people can slice and dice these, uh, you know, our comments however they want. With that said, in a perverse way, I think this actually might be bullish for the market. Why? Because maybe it'll slow down the move in bond yields. Maybe people will reinforce their belief that the Fed is going to be there regardless. And by the way, we've been through this before, and the market's learned how to deal with it. So of all the things that I'm concerned about in the market, and there are many, um, this isn't at the top of my list, and it clearly isn't at the markets either, being that the VIX closed below 19 today for the first time in probably 13 months. Yeah. Tim, you brought up the VIX being below 20 earlier on a call today. Yep. Well, I, it's just extraordinary. So a year ago, and we're going to do all these look backs and we're going to have a great segment on what you'd want to invest in a year later. But, you know, the VIX was 75 a year ago today. Uh, and guys bringing up great points about, you know, fear has, has inspired uh, unprecedented policy response. And, and so the fear of removing unprecedented policy response is what's had the markets have anxiety. What gives me anxiety is that you get to a place where the, the, the year of mulligans that we had, which was then on 2020 uh, and, and really 2021 earnings is something that you're going to have to you know address by the time we get to mid-year. And I think we will have to unless you slow down the pace. So uh, everything Guy caveated this with, we care about the world's health uh, a lot more than we care about the stock market. Uh, I do think you have a case here where uh, you know, the market is, is going to be fine with bond yields coming down because there's 
you know, there's more fear of, of less opening. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, that's just the market we're in. But again, I, I am not worried about the environment. If anything, you know, I do see 7% GDP growth uh, in, in a labor market that's 4.5%. And those are the Fed's numbers um, by the end of this year. That's going to be very, very strong backdrop, ultimately, for stocks. Let's just hope it's not too strong. It almost sounds like between what Guy and Tim are saying that, that it maybe perversely sets up for a win-win situation. Brian Kelly, we either have a straight-up reopening that is very successful beyond our wildest dreams, the economy reopens, gangbusters, demand is there, and the stock market goes higher, or you have a reopening that has stutter steps and maybe the bond market, the yields slow their ascent, and markets don't have a thing to worry about. I think that's probably what the market's saying right now. I mean, it's just a couple different things. We showed that clip of Spring Bank in Miami. I don't think it's just... 20-year-olds that feel that way. People are ready to get out and do things. So when we do reopen, I think scenes like that are likely to be maybe not as wild as that, but people are ready to get together, go out to restaurants, <laughs> go out to movies and shows and whatnot. So that is the reopening trade. Now, the caveat there is that has to be stronger than any of the tailwinds. So rising rates, inflationary pressures and all of that. And for now, the market appears to be saying, yeah, earnings growth are going to be a lot stronger than any inflation concerns, even though that is a tail risk. So I think that's what the market's doing. The one thing I would note, though, which is kind of interesting today, we talked about at the top of the show here, the Nasdaq started to rally. Mm -hmm. Now, that is where, you know, some of these names are their, their idiosyncratic growth. That's where you get growth in a slowing environment. So maybe there is that rotation. So maybe the market is worried about uh, COVID shutdown, and you're starting to rotate into the uh, tech sector. Yeah, I was going to point that out, and I know that James noticed that as well, but we we had a lot of the stay-at-home trades, like a Zoom and a Peloton do well. We had a lot of the, the really hardcore reopening trades, like the cruise lines, the airlines, particularly JetBlue, which has more exposure to Florida, really get hit hard today, James. So maybe maybe the market is tipping off to some concern about what is going to happen. Right. We study uh, convergence and divergence in the indexes and correlations. And when the indices stop moving in the same direction, uh, eyebrows are raised. And today we saw a recovery and a rally in the S&P as well as the NASDAQ, but a continuation of the selling that began last week in the Russell and the small cap. And it was just the opposite for uh, the first two months of the year. Tech uh, and the S&P were showing weakness and, and small caps and value caps we're rallying. And so I think that money is looking for a place uh, to grow uh, in this market today. And there's been so much bullish sentiment for so long now, uh, this backdrop of a reopening trade and the reassurance from the Fed uh, that protection will remain and there will be a tepid uh, a, a movement of monetary policy as we see how things go. Uh, all this in the face of new cases and pauses to reopenings and pauses to announcements of going back to normal. There's a lot of uncertainty here, uh, but there's been so much money made in this bull market that that money wants to find a place to keep growing. And I think the energy uh, of buying will consistently follow through wherever it can find a home. Uh, Tim, when you take a look at what was going on with the airlines in conjunction with what we saw out of Florida, did that make you concerned about some of the names that you own that that um, even though we're talking about the markets broadly here, this could have a very specific impact on on some of the names that you own in terms of the airlines. 
Well, um, so I'm long Delta at this point, and I'm, and I'm long Boeing. And, and I think, you know, Boeing is very much of, of an airline trade, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean traffic, uh, not necessarily e- even some of their own specific issues. But I think you've got a case where the rally across the airlines was so extraordinary uh, over the last, you know, if you look at that, that Jets ETF and measure uh, the airline industry, you can see the move we've had over the last six weeks. Uh, I, I, I am of the view that airline valuations aren't terribly interesting here. I, I, this is also one day. Um, and, and I think the sentiment around today and the sentiment around really, I think Europe has had us concerned over here because on some level Europe has been a, a, a leading indicator in terms of what's been going on with the virus. What's different is that really, uh, and thankfully, and it's, it's, you know, proud to be American time. I mean, they, you know, what's gone on here in terms of vaccinating this country, uh, and what's gone on with some of the biggest drug companies in the world, uh, you know, look, I, I, I don't think we're in the same situation as they are in Europe in some case. I don't expect, uh, I, I, first of all, People are going to be responsible. People are going to do the right thing. Uh, but, but we are opening. And, and ultimately, if you're back to your airline trade, if you liked airlines on Friday, you like them today. You're not doing anything different. Um, I'm telling you, I think airline valuations are actually not terribly interesting at this point. You've had a tremendous rally and that airlines ultimately have proven to be great trading stocks. So with that in mind, um, you know, I'm dancing near the door. That's a good way of putting it, dancing near the door. You're still inside, but you're close to, to stepping foot outside there. Um, Guy, how, how would you interpret what the market is doing? Because it seems like one day you're in tech stocks, the next day you're in, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, the rotation is on and on and just it seems to churn. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly on autopilot in terms of, I think it's all predicated on bond yields and mm-hmm. the comments out of the Fed. I mean, I think it's important to mention that, and I know most people knew this going in, but JetBlue filed or priced a $650 million convert, which is about 10% of their market cap. And the stock price, by, by the way, good for JetBlue, by the way, for taking advantage of the huge move in their stock. JetBlue traded up to uh, the levels that we saw February of last year. I mean, so for all intents and purposes, the stock was basically right where we were before this entire thing started, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. So obviously that weighed on it. And to answer your question, I mean, I think it's that simple. If you think, as I do, by the way, that bond yields are going higher, I think this is just a pause and the Nasdaq sell-off is going to continue. If you think uh, for some reason we've stopped here around 1.7% or so and headed back lower, then it's all systems go once again. It really comes down to your view on yields. I think yields go up from here. Our next guest says the market may be ignoring some key risks to the reopening trade. Let's bring in Mike Wilson, chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. Mike, always good to speak with you. Um, reading through the notes, it sounds like the thing that you're worried about is not necessarily a rise in caseload, et cetera. But r- once the economy opens, that demand will far outstrip supply of whatever it is, services, of goods, et cetera. Yeah, that's right, Melissa. I mean, look, we uh, try to worry about things that people aren't worrying about. So now everybody's focused on rates. Uh, that was what we were concerned about back in, in January. But now that move's happened. Now, I agree with Guy. I think that rates are eventually going to go higher, but we've had a heck of a move and everybody's focused on it. So, you know, part of today's trade is just, you know, the rate thing came down a bit and, you know, the tech stocks could breathe. But the new leadership is clear. Okay. I mean, it's crystal clear to us. It is a rotation into the what do you want to call them, reopening, pro-cyclical value, whatever it is, that's the new leadership. And it's, and it's been established, and it really got established today. The you know, vaccines were announced back in November. I don't think people are worried about a recurring, uh, recurrence of the virus because we do have an answer to it. We do have vaccinations. And, yeah, I mean, Europe's been behind the curve, but they're going to get there. 
The U.S. has done a really good job here, and we're going to get past this. Okay, so the market's looking forward. And so now, um, just like last year, you know, the, the economy was horrible, um, but the market was great to look forward. And now I think we're going to be a bit surprised. People might be surprised that as we reopen, there's going to be cost pressures. And I think a lot of companies are going to have a hard time dealing with that. Not the end of the world, not going to kill the bull market or the recovery, but it's going to be more difficult. And it, it's, going to, it's going to affect probably small cap companies more than any others negatively, which is why we downgraded that space last week. Hey, Mike, so you're talking hey, about hey. bottom-up factors and oh, – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brian. No, go ahead, Tim. Okay. Um, so at what point are you really looking at valuations, Mike? And, and you know, your, your role as a strategist is to not look at anything in a vacuum, and you're talking about market factors. Um, my point earlier was I'm really concerned at which the point when folks like you and like us – uh, can only be focused on EPS and dynamics, at least in a static environment, all other things remaining equal. W- when do you think that's going to be when these valuations make no more sense and the mulligan's over? Yeah, I think I think it's been happening, right? I mean, that's basically our call for this year is that as rate, rates markets finally adjusted higher, people can no longer ignore, you know, that, that stocks are stretched. Now, they, they went after the big growth stocks first. Okay, fine. Um, now they're going to go after some of these more speculative areas. Uh, you mentioned some of the reopening stocks, quite frankly, have gotten ahead of themselves. And so um, I think it's happening right now. And by the way, that's usually what happens at this stage of the recovery. You have the recession, valuations expand during the recession. Then you have the recovery, rates go up and valuations come down. That's very normal. Um, this time we have some parts of the market that are really stretched. And that means you probably have net negative pressure on the overall index, You know, small cap stocks, some of the expensive areas. And it's just, you just got to be a little bit cognizant of that. I mean, the, the, the trick this year, Tim, as you know, is being a portfolio manager is finding uh, idiosyncratic stories that can kind of outgrow that multiple compression. But the game is on now. Multiples are going to compress this year, probably 10, 12, 15 percent at the index level. And that's normal. Hey, Mike, so it's BK. You're talking about this this multiple compression, and I imagine a little bit that has to do with some of the inflationary issues that you were talking about, some of the shortages we're seeing. But but what is the trigger in your mind for when that multiple compression, which sounds like you think is going to be somewhat benign, turns into something maybe a little bit more violent? What yeah. should investors look for to say, okay, that's the trigger? Well, like I said, I think in some of these really expensive areas, that trigger is already where that rate move has got people's attention. And I, I'm very comfortable saying right now that a lot of these stocks have made their highs for the year, and they may have made their highs for, for years, period, or uh, plural. Um, and so I think if you are have been invested in very expensive parts of the market, I mean, you're on warning right now. And I think you need to be careful with valuation in those particular areas uh, because I think those stocks may not recover this year at all. Mike, always great to speak with you. Thank you so much. Great, thank you. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. Uh, James, what do you make of the uh, inflation pressures that Mike was talking about? They're real. And, you know, if we look at commodities and the steepness uh, of of the rally, we see that there's a lot of crowding into those things. I've been watching Decurium Corn. I've been watching Palladium. I've been watching a lot of the sectors that were hammered uh, when the virus first came out, we saw auto production go to zero in China. Uh, it had a trickle-down effect. Inflation is real. Uh, however, we know that the Fed is going to protect us. We know that the Fed is going to offer support. We know that people are going to get stimulus checks. And so it's shrugged off, I think. Ultimately, 
uh, when we get back to normal and the Fed starts to walk back or at least reduce its indication that it's going to come in and provide unlimited support, uh, we're going to see these prices come down. I know we're going to talk about one of these stocks later, but I think that ultimately, you know, this is a risky area in the commodity space. Uh, as it relates to inflation mostly. Yeah, I think the way Mike yeah. had put it, um, Guy, was, was, I mean, obviously it's the right way. He's Mike Wilson and Morgan Stanley. But in terms of thinking about um, <laughs> it hitting small caps much more, I mean, small caps can't pass on those price increases to consumer as well as larger corporations can and absorb that cost, the increased cost and whatever it is, by just taking some, some off the margin. Yeah, no question. And that, you know, you asked Mike what the trigger was for him or what it will be. The trigger for me and we'll see if it's right or wrong, but it was for me, it was like getting through one and a half percent in the 10 year. And that's, I think, when the bullish tailwinds became headwinds. And it's really manifesting itself in the Russell. You just brought it, brought it up. I mean, on a decent tape today, I think the Russell was down one percent. And if you look over the last couple of years, I mentioned this, I think, on Thursday, you know, the Russell has led us up by about a two week or so head start. And it's led us down by about the same amount. It's, it's interesting to see if that's going to be the case here. I do think it's going to be extraordinarily hard for these companies to pass on those costs. And I do think, like, uh, like James said, I think inflation is absolutely here in spades. It's just a question of when uh, the market acknowledges it. And I think we're pretty close to that point. All right. Coming up, all aboard a $25 billion deal. Find out if our traders are booking a ticket on a mega merger in the transports. And later, the ultimate comeback kids. We found six stocks that have more than tripled from last year's market bottom. And our traders think some of these names are still a buy. We'll bring you the trades when Fast Money returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Kansas City Southern topping the tape today after agreeing to be bought by Canadian Pacific Railway for $25 billion. The deal creates the first freight rail network connecting the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. It still needs approval from U.S. regulators. BK, you on board with this deal? Yeah, you know, what's interesting about this deal is you think about this reshoring effect, right? And so things are going to likely be more transported more by trucking and rails. And the one thing, you know, Charlie Munger's always said this, they're, there's not, they're not making any more railroads, right? We're not going to put in a new railroad. The cost to do that is outrageous. So this, I think, is actually a pretty good deal, but it's a longer term type of deal where these companies are going to do well over the next couple of years. Uh, Canadian Pacific has tried to do this a couple times in the past, 2014 and 2016, I believe, Tim. Um, do you think regulators approve yes. this one? They are the two smallest of the seven North American railroads, but still. Yeah, I, I think a lot of look. They, this has been carefully thought out uh, and, and so unanimously voted through by both boards. I, I think there, there is some sense that this is a deal that could get done. Therefore, it's a deal that got done and it got done at a level that, that made you know, a lot of sense and probably couldn't have come a lot more expensive than, you know, about 16 times EV. But I, I like the deal. Uh, I like the upward pressure it puts on multiples in the space. Uh, I like the synergies, but I like the pricing power. I like the efficiencies. And, and uh, like, I, I like the charts. Transports, ultimately, if you look at the IYT, this is one of the great charts off the lows of the crisis. But really, on a five-year basis, outside of a stall, really kind of going into COVID, this has been just a great sector to own. And companies like FedEx and, and, and you know, UPS, but then we've talked about the airlines, which may be a little bit more tactical. But in case of the rails, uh, these are companies that have gotten better and more efficient. And, and I think they're a place to stay. 
Guy, I know you like the name, the proposed name of the combined company. It's very creative. Canadian Pacific Kansas City. Do you like the deal, though? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's coincidence that this deal was announced during this administration. You know, quite Mm. frankly, it's funny. Kansas City Southern is a name we talked about. Four years ago, I believe, at, at probably one-third or so the price was ta- that, uh, that we're talking about now uh, during the Trump administration and all the rhetoric around Mexico and stuff. And w- we talked about it glowingly then. It's hard to really be as enamored of it now, given this valuation. But what I will say is, yes, I like the deal. And I'm surprised at how poorly Federal Express continues to trade. Listen, I thought it was a great quarter. You're talking about a stock that should have at least a 16 multiple and on the back of the $20 they're going to earn next year, you should be talking about a $320 stock, in my opinion. But here we've been meandering uh, for the last three or four months. Leaves me scratching my head. I think if you really want to find a place to be off what I thought was a very good quarter, it's Federal Express. Quickly, James, your favorite transport. Well, that's a great question. I wasn't expecting that one. I study the indexes and, you know, the transports broke out all time high today. Um, this is the time when mergers and consolidation happens uh, up at the upper edge, up echelons of bull markets. And so this is expected. I think the deal will get done. Uh, but I don't directly invest in any specific transport name. All right. Got it. We have got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Stocks have surged in the years since the market's pandemic bottom. But is there still an opportunity in these soaring shares? Plus, semiconductor stocks ripping higher today, but still down big from their recent highs. We'll break down the chip tip and which stocks could still be worth a buy. We've got all that and more when Fast Money returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. It's a big day already with historic action by the Federal Reserve. We are also waiting on Congress to vote on its massive rescue and stimulus plan sometime today. The Dow has now wiped out all of its gains since President Trump's election and is on pace for its worst month since 1931. Right now, the Dow is down about 575 points. There are now 40,000 cases of coronavirus confirmed in the United States, putting it third behind China and Italy as testing ramps up. Welcome back to Fast Money. That was a scene playing out on CNBC this time last year. Tomorrow, marking one year since the March bottom. And take a look at how far we've come. The S&P is up 71% since then. And if you bought at the bottom, if you're lucky enough, <laughs> you've made a lot of money, especially in these names. Etsy, Freeport, McMoran, L Brands, all up over 500%. So here's the question. They were great buying opportunities back then. Are they still great buying opportunities right now? Let's dig into each name, starting off with Etsy, up 594% in a year back then. Its P.E. ratio was 39.8. Today, 73.3. Guy, is it still a buy? Yeah, you're not going to believe. You've heard everything I said for the first 20 minutes of the show, and now I'm about to say something that people are going to at me for, but I will say it anyway. Yeah, I do think it's still a buy. It's sold off from the 250 level. It's coming off a pretty solid quarter where you see margin improvement. I mean, the EBIT margins came in at 31%. I think the street was looking for about 25%, up from 20% in the same quarter last year. You have user growth. You've seen sell-offs of this magnitude, this 250 down to 210. You've seen moves like this 
uh, at least four times over the last year, year and a half. So it's not unprecedented. Plus, you have somebody like Elon Musk out in the, in the bleachers tweeting back in January, I kind of like Etsy. So we're one tweet away from another 10% move to the upside. So despite valuation, I think you could still own Etsy here. Obviously, there are a lot of people sitting at home, BK, nothing else to do. They checked out Etsy, and now they're hooked on buying handcrafted things online and getting it straight to their homes. they got a whole new market, potentially. Right. Here. Like, Yeah, potentially. I mean, but how many crocheted trivets can you sell? I, listen, it's not that I don't like Etsy. It's just that the easy money's been made, number one. Number two... With the valuation, we just talked about the potential for inflationary pressures. Do you really think that crocheter at home who's selling that trivet is going to be able to pass on the extra cost to that other person at home that's looking to get that? I just think it's, it's, it's not an easy trade at this point in time, and it's likely the most vulnerable to all the macro headwinds we talked about. There's more than just crocheted items on Etsy, by the way. Anyway, let's move on to Discovery. It is um, up nearly 300%. Back then, it's P-E ratio 5.6. Today, 26.1. So, James, you like it here? I do. I like Discovery because uh, of a few reasons. One, obviously, they're, they're getting on board the streaming train, and Discovery has a ton of content. They have a very loyal base of fans, and they were somewhat flat over the past year, and what we did with uh, February earnings announcement, we saw that there was a great pickup there, outperformed to the upside, and there's a huge pocket of value here called online education. What we've seen happen over the last year has really disrupted the way we've lived, and obviously the streaming revelation, streaming, streaming, streaming revolution was one thing, uh, but we now know how to work from home, and the need for online education and supplemental, I think Discovery has got a pocket of value here. I think they're going to roll out products and services for online, on-demand education and interactive tools. And I think that this is going to add some accretive production to their earnings in the future. And so I do like this stock despite it's up so much. Uh, Guy, there's going to be a lot of competition um, for, for time when, once the economy reopens, let alone yeah. streaming products specifically. You know, and I hear what James is saying, and he has been spot on with this. The concern I would have with this stock as opposed to Etsy, with Etsy you've seen fits and starts along the way to get to this point. With this, with this name, it's been a straight line since November from 20 to 80, I think, with nary a pullback. So I think now you're playing on borrowed time. I would think at some point over the next couple of weeks we're going to see a pretty significant downdraft, and maybe it comes in an analyst downgrade. But this is a great story that's just gotten too far too fast for me. All right, next up, Freeport McMoran. This one's up 534%. Back then, its P.E. was about 23. Today, it's about 14 and a half. Um, so, BK, what do you say? You know, of, of all the names we're going to talk about, this is the one that I, I don't like the least. Does that make sense? I mean, I, you, what you've got here is a copper and gold play. What I'm concerned about is the copper part of the play has gotten way ahead of itself, and I don't know if that's going to be something that, happened, that, that we continue in the next, let's call it, six months or so. So I, it's not that I don't like Freeport. Again, I think the easy money's been made. If I'm going to play this theme, which is basically buy any, any hard asset that's not nailed down, I'd rather now rotate into gold, which hasn't had the run that Freeport has had. BK just ruined the ending, but in case you missed it, he doesn't like any of the stocks that we're talking about. So I'm just going to, you know, uh, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait and find spoiler out. Alert. Um, <laughs> Tim, what do you think yeah. of FCX? All right. So BK, negative and negative. That means positive last time I checked. So bringing two negatives together. So you, but anyway, so 
he, he's right to to feel as if the copper part of the story um, has been a you know a major driver here. I just tell you this: I mean, copper's at near 13-year highs. Um, copper of, of all the industrial metals, and and I would make of most base commodities um, has the best supply-demand fundamentals. In other words, in favor of actually seeing demand outstrip supply uh, bottlenecks. We we've known about this over the years in terms of uh, where copper is mined in some some volatile parts of the world, uh, and the lack of investment and in infrastructure in mining companies means I think copper could go a lot higher. Everything we've said for the rest of this show means uh, demand outstrips supply in a lot of things, including uh, I think industrial metals demand. So I, I kind of like the story. I am long the story. I stay long the story. Uh, and I, here's the other thing. You don't buy commodities when they're cheap. You buy them when they're expensive. That sounds like a BK statement. And it, and it is. Uh, and it's true in my experience. All right. Using BK against BK I like that. Lastly, let's look at L brands up 514 percent since last March. Back then, it's P bet five. Today, it's about 14. So, Tim, you like L brands. Well, boy, this this is this is tough. Um, it's tough to reach in and grab this thing. Uh, and obviously it takes Guy Adami going and buying a lot of scented candles um, at Bath and Body Works. But but look, think about what's what's changed for for this company. First of all, uh, what happened through COVID, even going into this, this was a restructuring story uh, that was fast forwarded as a function of COVID. Uh, and so they, they made some very difficult decisions. They did some massive restructuring. And guess what? Now, rent is 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 cheap and it abounds and it's everywhere. And there's a lot of vacancies that they can actually lock in for very cheap. So I know this sounds crazy, but I know they're going to they're, they're actually going to be growing. Uh, they talked about and they gave fourth quarter guidance that that upped, excuse me, first quarter guidance on their fourth quarter numbers that upped uh, expectations, not, you know, five to 10 percent, but 50 percent. They've also started talking about, yeah, a shareholder return plan. So this is a company with some brands uh, and, and, and clearly a turnaround that's well in place. J.P. Morgan just threw a seventy eight dollar target on it. I'd be long. All right. We've got a big news alert on a request the travel industry is making from the White House. Seema Modi's got the details. Seema. Melissa, travel companies urging the White House to partner with the travel industry to develop by May 1st a roadmap to lift inbound international travel restrictions. Uh, Travel companies arguing that the risk of COVID-19 transmission while flying is low. They're also requesting to exempt vaccinated individuals from the international COVID-19 testing requirements while avoiding the vaccine to be a prerequisite to travel. Remember, Melissa, most non-U.S. citizens from Europe and Brazil have not been able to enter the U.S. for almost a year. So these restrict. So this specific roadmap could be a big boon for the travel industry. We are waiting a response from the White House. All right, Seema, thank you, Seema Modi. And obviously, this could be very big news, as Seema points out, Guy, um, for the travel industry. At the same time, you know, we were just talking about how uh, there is a, a third wave going on in Europe. So that is of concern, too. Yeah, I don't think it's clearly this is not going to happen overnight. But the fact that mm-hmm. they put this in place, I think it speaks to everything Tim's been talking about and the Ian My Hope trade, Expedia. So I do think there was ways to play it. I would keep a keen eye on a name like JetBlue, who we mentioned earlier, trading right up against that level we saw in February of last year. But the downstream names still work. And for me, it comes down to names like Expedia. All right. Coming up, pot stocks on fire this year as the path to legalization gets a lot smoother. We'll tell you why and how you can trade it. Plus, it's game on for GameStop after a monster rally this year. We'll tell you how options traders are getting in on the name ahead of the earnings this week. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast right after this. Uh, we've got a market flash here on QuantumScape, uh, down about 7% in the after-hour session. The company planning to sell 
13 million Class A shares right now. Again, the stock is plunging on this news. Um, the stock of note was up about 8.5% in the regular session. Um, Brian Kelly, I feel like this is sort of a name. It's futuristic. It's solid-state batteries. It's a <laughs> Kathy Wood sort of feeling name. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, you know, I think, first of all, on any of these kind of secondary offerings, I tend to be a buyer because, you know, now you know the story, you know that the supply is out there. It's down 7 percent. But the way this stock has traded, 7 percent is actually not that big of a deal in this name. So I think, you know, listen, if you could get this thing closer to the $50 level rather than that, I think it's trading around 58 right now. I think that's where you probably want to scoop some up. All right, let's move on here. Semi is surging in today's session, but it's been a rough month for this trade. Check out the moves in names like Teradyne, Taiwan Semi, NVIDIA, all well off their 52-week highs. Let's get to Josh Lipton with more on this chip dip. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, check out, check out the SMH, the ETF that tracks the chips. Now, it finished in the green today, up about 10% this year, but down about 8% now from its recent high in the past four weeks. Taiwan Semi, Teradyne, NVIDIA, all down roughly 10%. And meanwhile, AMD and Qualcomm off about 5%. Matt Bryson at Wedbush sees no softening in end market demand here. Instead, he says some of these names have enjoyed remarkable runs. For instance, since their March lows, AMD up 100%. NVIDIA up 160%. So some profit taking, he says, is expected. Also, Matt says there are worries, of course, about interest rates moving higher, which often impacts valuations of growth stocks. Bernstein Stacy Rasgon asked an important question. What happens, he wants to know, when this chip shortage ends? Do chip customers then keep ordering or do they have to go through a period of digestion? And Stacy says the truth is we don't know. But in the meantime, his top picks right now, he tells me, include NXP, Broadcom, and NVIDIA. NXP, says, because this auto recovery has legs. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh. Thanks, Josh Lipton. Um, Guy, that's a good question posed by Stacey Raskin, a top chip analyst there. What does happen once this chip shortage ends? She doesn't know. Far be it from me to know, right? And I'll say this. You know, I, th- I think that's <laughs> going to clearly be a concern because it could fall right back into the same trap when, you know, people get all bulled up on these uh, chip names only to see the cyclicality of them and to see the commoditization to a certain extent that we've seen before. But I do think we're not close to that yet. And I power pitched, I think, AMD a week or so ago. It was trading 83. It's trading 80 now. I actually think it traded down to 77. That's still the place I would go uh, just in terms of what Lisa Sue's been able to do there and the growth potential they have over the next six months. Uh, BK, I think you like NVIDIA. Yeah, it was interesting. You saw that today. And I, I've liked NVIDIA. It looks like to me it's trying to bottom. There's a couple things here that you have going on with NVIDIA. One is obviously the gaming demand, which we know and we just heard from the analysts that that end demand is not going away. So there's the potential that they will be able to pass on any price increases. And then secondarily, you know, a lot of this kind of chip shortage may have been priced in. NVIDIA has been going sideways basically since September. So it's at a really interesting point. I think you do need to be careful because if it breaks lower, we could have problems. But right here, I think you play this one for a bottom and maybe a breakout to new highs. James, you like any of the chips? I like the chip sector overall, long term, medium term. As uh, you know, BK said there, we've been going sideways from the leader here. But not just sideways, we saw a lot of pressure in the 
sell-off over the last month, and that pressure was the first pressure of that magnitude on two and a half years. And so something's going on there in terms of an exhaustion of, uh, of let's just say, effusiveness in this space. So much demand for these chips, so much potential, uh, but that's what drove them up there in the first place. I think the sector overall is a good sector, medium term, uh, but short term, watch out. Coming up, we'll take you to the front lines of the cannabis trade. The CEO of Cresco Labs will join us why he thinks this year could be a major turning point for the entire industry. And later, a $4 billion swing. That's what options traders are betting we'll see when GameStop reports earnings tomorrow. We will break down the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks lighting up this year as legalization gains momentum across the U.S. Just last week, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said the state is close to moving on recreational use. Meantime, the Senate is set to take up the Safe Banking Act later this week, a bill would, um, which would allow cannabis companies access to the federal banking system and help eliminate the dangers of doing their business in cash. Let's talk more about all this with Charlie Bocktel, the CEO of Cresco Labs. Charlie, great to see you again. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Which is the bigger impact for your business? I mean, you, you have uh, dispensaries all already in, in New York, so you would benefit from from opening up that market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I was going to if I had to rate which would be larger uh, for either Cresco Labs or for the industry, New York or, or sort of a federal change, I think you'd have to go with a federal change. You, you, you can't sort of downplay the importance of a state like New York uh, passing adult use legislation. But you know, we'd love to see the SAFE Act uh, make its way through Congress and, and be a, a cannabis-related piece of legislation that actually gets, uh, gets implemented. So we're, we're you know, optimistic for both. Uh, that's, that's the good spot that we're in. What, what's the first thing you do if that SAFE Act passes? You know, SAFE is a, it, it's such a dynamic component, right, because, because access to capital has been so difficult in this industry. And again, this is an industry that is the fastest-growing industry in America. Uh, increased to, uh, to 320,000 plus uh, full-time employees uh, in the industry last year. That's up 32%. So this is an incredibly fast-moving, dynamic industry that we still have, you know, a hand tied behind our back without access to traditional banking. Um, so the the unlock for a company like us would be, of course, bringing cost of capital down, uh, making it more traditional in the sense of potentially using lines of credit to smooth out cash flow financing real estate capex projects with traditional or more traditional rates and are currently available. But the real unlock here, too, is the, the social equity, social responsibility uh, dynamic of access to capital. As this industry is developing and all of these state laws are being passed that incorporate these inclusive, diverse components to them, access to capital is still the biggest gating issue for anybody to get into the space. Hey, Charlie, it's Tim. Let's talk about some stuff Cresco specific. And, and First of all, you guys are in seven of the 10 biggest populous states in the country. You're in seven billion dollar markets. And, and you guys have had a slightly different approach to uh, wholesale distribution and essentially the, the, the wholesale door sale and, and how you're positioning the company in a world where I think the larger CNBC and Fast Money audience knows, you know, understands the CPG story. Cannabis is, you know, arguably the most exciting CPG story for you know many years. Let's put it that way. Um, talk about how you're set up to to take advantage of that. Yeah, could, couldn't agree with you more. And it was really it was one of the few things you know that was really apparent to us when we first looked at this back in 2013. Was cannabis is a CPG product, whether it knew it at the time or not. Um, this was going to be branded and packaged and sort of delivered and in a traditional way that CPG is. So for us, we've always prioritized those middle two verticals of the value chain. 
wanted to be vertical. It's really important to own your entire uh, aspect of the supply chain uh, today. But prioritizing that branded product sale is is critical. And you're seeing it as the industry develops uh, these state programs. Um, they maintain a tight control on the amount of, of supply and the number of suppliers that are in the space. And points of retail are just going to continue to get more and more and more. It's a great small business opportunity. That's where tax revenue is actually collected is at the register. So we've always had our, our sights on making sure that we created branded products that resonate with consumers and that we get them into as many doors as we can. And we've established ourselves as the largest uh, wholesaler of branded product in the industry. Charlie, great to catch up with you. Good to see you. Thanks so much. Charlie Bachtel, mm-hmm. CEO of Cresco Labs. Um, Tim, Tim, you run uh, a cannabis ETF, CNBS. And so I wonder for you, you know, do you think that the gains in anticipation of the SAFE Act have happened or once that passes, there are more gains to be had? Yeah, it's a great question because it's been such a big year for cannabis already. But but, you know, the response to that news, um, some of that could have been priced in on the judge, the Georgia runoffs on the expectation you were going to have the control to get legislation pushed through. But but look, uh, the biggest investors in the world are not in this sector right now. So so, you know, it's a week where Cresco is going to report Thursday, TerraSend, TrueLeaf tomorrow. So three of the biggest companies in the sector. And, and the bottom up story is so good. The bar's high, uh, frankly. Uh, but you still don't have that wall of capital in this industry. So, no, I don't think it's priced in. I, I think there's been a lot of good news. It's been an amazing year to invest in cannabis. And I think the second half, you know, I'm, I'm biased. I'm long. I'm long Cresco. I'm long Truly. I'm long Terrace. And I, I think it's going higher. All right. Coming up, game on for GameStop. We are counting down to the company's first earnings report since the Reddit revolution. Pop the popcorn for this one. We'll break down the key things you need to watch. Plus, a Bitcoin backslide. What Fed Chair Jay Powell just said, they got the crypto world reeling today. Fast Money's back after this short break. Welcome back. The Reddit rebellion is not over yet. In fact, we could get a major new twist in the tale when GameStop reports earnings tomorrow after the bell. The stock is still up nearly 1000 percent this year alone. Let's bring in Mike Coe. So, Mike, um, what's the setup into earnings here? Yeah, so right now we saw puts out trading calls by about three to two, and the options market is implying a move of about 30% higher or lower. That's a $4 billion market cap swing. The most active put options were the weekly 100 strike puts. Over 5,000 of those were trading for about $2.30. It's only about a 5% chance, but it does look like some options traders are betting that the bottom could fall out. That would represent about a 50% decline after they report. James, what do you think? Does it matter what they say tomorrow? Does it matter what the numbers are? Does it matter if they meet or beat or whatever? (gasps) Yeah, I think it does matter. I think that there's going to be a a mean reversion back to normalcy from earnings announcement reaction and that the traders will be ready to pounce. I think they would love to see pressure on this stock. Uh, This stock has taught us so much about the power of the crowd uh, and the power of the new generation of traders. I think if the stock can sell off on negative news, uh, or news that can be perceived as negative, they'll look at that as an opportunity to run it back in and buy it back up. And so I think there's going to be a lot of volatility, and the implied volatility from the options that we've been studying on these suggest a major move is coming. And so we do think that it's going to respond to earnings, and we think that the crowd is going to come back in and bully this stock around to their will. Guy, what, what do you think? Yeah, this is one I'll sit on the bleachers and sort of watch, like, you know, the old Knicks of the 90s when you just sort of watched with jaw agape because – they were that impressive. That's what I'll be doing here in GameStop. I, I personally don't think, I mean, it's clear earnings don't matter in this story. But to James's point, I mean, people are ready for the sell-off, so you should be ready as well. 
All right. Mike Coe, thanks for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Jay Powell <laughs> bashes on Bitcoin. What the Fed chair said about the cryptocurrency that got BK's attention today. The details will come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert for you. Listen to what Fed Chair Jay Powell said about the cryptocurrency today. Crypto assets, uh, you know, they're they're highly volatile, see Bitcoin, and therefore not really useful as a store of value. And they're not backed by anything. They're more of an asset for speculation. So they're also not particularly in use as a means of payment. It's more uh, a speculative asset that's that's essentially a substitute for gold rather than for the dollar. Brian Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I think 2017 called and wants its criticism back. That's what I think. I mean, these, <laughs> these are old criticisms of Bitcoin that have been proven. It's just, you know, it's ridiculous. But here's the good thing is the Fed does not see Bitcoin as a threat to the dollar. Mm. If you were worried that the Fed might see that and might do something, that's all you need to hear it's all systems go for the Bitcoin. All right, that's a good point there. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, in 2017, it was a great time for Intel. If you think of the company, they're about to hit all-time highs. Actually, ironically, and I'd stay in that trade, Intel. BK. Uh, I like NVIDIA here. Something's going on. NVDA, buy it. James. What tech correction? Twitter is up 20% year to date. Guy. Yeah, Dollar Gen did pretty much what we thought it would do after earnings traded really well. Dollar Gen into the final portion of this week, Mel. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.